If I were to sort of collect all the evidence that is that exists that most of us who work in this field are, are familiar with, combine it and synthesize it, and then essentially cut out the word exercise or physical activity and, and put in the word blueberry and read it, would I then be persuaded that blueberries were, you know, effectively anti-cancer medicine, or would I start pointing to to all these weaknesses? Uh, and I probably would. <laughs> and I kind of started considering, you know, how strong is this evidence base that we're, that we're pushing? And if we go to say, you know, exercise uh, is, is beneficial for these outcomes, and if you exercise, you live longer, we're effectively also saying, if you don't exercise, you live shorter. Hey, what's happening? Welcome back to another episode of the Reach Podcast. My name's Kieran Fairman. I'm the host of the show. And today's episode, I'm bringing you part two of the conversation with Jesper Christensen. And today we're talking about uh, the evidence and the strength of evidence of exercise oncology and how we try to remove our biases as researchers in this space, particularly with most of us being kind of exercisers. And Jesper comes at it from a really per- cool perspective in all of this is housed in the need to frame expectations for people with cancer and, and make sure we're managing their perspective on the role that exercise can play in their care. So it's a really cool chat, not just for me as kind of an early career researcher as I look to improve uh, my work I want to do going forward. But we have some really cool conversations in general about how we can you know, better design our trials moving forward. So if you're a researcher in the space, I think you'll really like to nerd out on this. If you're not, I think it's also important for you to kind of see behind the curtains of how and why we design our exercise trial. So really cool chat. I hope you enjoy it. And just another quick update regarding the, the show in general. You will notice a distinct difference in the quality of audio that's uh, in this introduction versus in the show itself. The show sounds like it was recorded in a cave. So a lot of these or a few of these episodes in the in the new season were recorded last year where I was kind of, as I said, a little bit disengaged and kind of going through the motions with it. But in the gap I've really stepped back and taken the time to kind of um, get things together to make sure the audio quality is better and make sure I'm giving you a better production to save your poor ears. So the content of this episode, I think is phenomenal. And I hope to in the future episodes, particularly ones that I've been recording this year, the audio quality will match the content. So I appreciate you hanging in there if you've been a long time listener to the show. And and if you're new, I promise it's going to get better over time. But other than that, I appreciate you checking in, stopping by and all that good stuff. And uh, we'll chat to you in the next episode. You, um, along with the Grouch, Ian Lahart, have really done a great job of reframing my perspective on um, our field in particular and really what it means to, to think from a scientific perspective. And you're, I think we have to start with the blueberry analogy because I think it's it's been such a fascinating concept that's you know, been burning on my mind as I, I think about not just airfield, but a lot of different fields of exercise science. Um, and just kind of how we try to, or how we can try to maybe remove our biases from, from what we do in, in a field as ours that's so filled with such passion for, for helping people. Um, let's chat a little bit about that blueberry analogy and where it came from and what it is. As I, as I started, 
uh, out explaining uh, I'm a long-time exercise enthusiast. I have worked in this field in particular for 10 years. Uh, pretty much my entire career is established and built on the idea that exercise is beneficial. We've got you know numerous of, of projects ongoing and completed, uh, typically reporting some kind of benefit. Um, and I, as well as you and most others who've worked uh, in this field for, for a significant time, we have we've stood there. We've 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 included the patients. We've trained the patients. We've sort of seen with our own eyes what what, what goes on. And and it's very very difficult to to distance ourselves from that sort of inherent uh, inherent bias that comes with having just worked with and studied something that really interests our. I mean, it's our own interest as well um, for such a long time. Um, but. Yeah, as we have also discussed on various occasions, you know, we, we do sometimes go through like uh, completing a, a very well-conducted study and then we the data somehow comes out and we sometimes have a slight challenge explaining it. And uh, we either don't see effects or or the effects are rather small. And, and then we occasionally tend to, to to jump to wherever the story sort of fits our our approach the best. Uh, and I think that's quite quite normal and, and logical to do that. Um, but but essentially, there was there was one in particular uh, incident or one in particular uh, sort of event that that got me a little bit to take try to take a step back, and it was a it was a commentary in, in JAMA last year by John Ioannidis. That's essentially it's not a new criticism; it's been ongoing for some time. But essentially, uh, just went to town on essentially nutritional epidemiology and how the data can be conflicting and how how you know how difficult it is to to deduce any kind of causal relationships and so on and so forth essentially points to 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 a, to a range of different things he he says you know the, the benefits that are being reported from this observational data that's a, a nutritional epidemiological base is is unrealistically large um uh, and um, he essentially goes on to say that there's this more or less unaddressable residual confounding ongoing that we have inaccuracy in measurements. We have this idea that one cross-sectional assessment of the sort of exposure variable and then a 10-year or 15-year follow-up period. Uh, and we somehow just just takes a, a, a line from, from A to B on that and then buys whatever it says. Uh, and there's so many uncertainties goes on with that. And obviously all these interactions with social and other behavioral factors that, that are all very sort of multi-complex and correlated and, and, and how to, to really make out any kind of, of causal relationships in that. And he goes on to say, you know, that we haven't been able to replicate or confirm any of these sort of claims in high quality RCTs. And if there are supportive trials, then they're typically small, they're high risk of bias, and, and they are, you know, either selectively reporting or using surrogate endpoints and so on and so forth. And I remember reading that and then said to myself, I've if, if I sort of take my, myself and my own interest out of the equation, I feel I could uh, uh, use pretty much all those criticism on at least the evidence we're currently pushing forward in the exercise and cancer field with regard to survival um, and with regard to the sort of more prognostic uh, benefits that we are often referring to. Um, and 
And I, I, I made this mental exercise out of saying, if I were to sort of, in my mind, collect all the uh, evidence that is that exists that most of us who work in this field are, are familiar with, combine it and synthesize it, and then essentially um, cut out the word exercise or physical activity and, and put in the word blueberry and read it, would I then be persuaded that blueberries were, you know, effectively anti-cancer medicine, or would I start pointing to to all these weaknesses, which which Ionidas sort of went through, uh, and I probably would, <laughs> and uh, that's, uh, so, so that's where, yeah, I kind of started considering, you know, how strong is this evidence base that we're, that we're pushing, and and, and and does it maybe have something to do that we're coming from a from a different perspective often than say the, the sort of classic clinical medicine? Are we sort of viewing this more from a, a public health perspective, where where I think we can all agree that if we can get more people to move more, uh, and 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 we we can probably gain like significant population based benefits, but that's just a very different approach to a, say a critically ill cancer patient and 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 giving treatment medicine uh, and clinical advice to such an individual, where a whole lot of individual factors sort of comes in. And if we go to say, you know, exercise. Uh, is, is beneficial for these outcomes. And if you exercise, you live longer. We're effectively also saying, if you don't exercise, you live shorter. And that can put a whole lot of psychological pressure on people in a vulnerable state and so on. And I think, do we really have the, you know, they can start feeling, are we, am I not fighting hard enough if I can't sort of cope with this and, and, and all these things. So, so, so I just think it's a very different perspective and it's a very interesting sort of discussion. Uh, do we have such solid evidence for, for that claim in particular? I mean, like I said, it kind of hit me, um, like a ton of bricks and it's really resonated with me and you know whether it's blueberries or some kind of arbitrary um item that you place in there it immediately takes out what we believe exercise to do i exercise i love the feeling of it it's done a lot for me physically and mentally and i've seen it do you know wonders for some people i've worked with and at the same time i've also seen people work really hard and particularly going through some of these grueling treatments that haven't seen the results they expect. And, and I think you frame it in such a good way that trying to, you know, squash a party or this is not, you know, being grumpy. <laughs> uh, um, but what it is doing is taking people into account and understanding what we're asking those people to do and potentially maybe, you know, with some guilt involved as well and saying, if we're saying you can reap all these benefits from doing this, we're subtly saying that it's your fault if you don't and you should and given that people are going through intense treatments a lot of financial constraints and all the other typical barriers to exercise anyway adding an unnecessary burden for what may or may not be a, a strong benefit is something to consider it, it, it all again comes back to to again what is our approach to 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 the idea of or the role of, of, of exercise throughout the cancer trajectory, really. Um, because again, I think, I mean, on par with what we would advise pretty much anyone to, to do if they're sedentary or if they're, um, you know, overweight or obese, we, we would, we would advise certain 
uh, we could advise certain, you know, lifestyle uh, changes. Uh, but it's just a very, to, to me, there's a very stark um, sort of separating the 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 guideline advice. Uh, approach as to you know this you know if we talk to a hundred people this is the advice we would give them and if we could get just you know ten of them to do something more healthy than than what they did before then it would be a, a then it would be a success I think that's that that's a whole line of research that's really really interesting and 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 I'm I'm on board with with saying that we we know enough from the benefits of exercise and physical activity in general to sort of be able to 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 translate that into the Kansas setting as well, but it's just a very different um, setting to 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 talk it into the the setting of clinical medicine and and from the setting where we would say this is this is actually the responsibility of the treating physician, be that a surgeon or an oncologist, medical oncologist, a radio oncologist. Um, and, and effectively, the system, because what do we do? We, we, we advise people to do this, but what happens then if we don't uh, set up the infrastructure needed for, for carrying it out? What happens then? Uh, and, and so, 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 um, so it, it becomes an sort of a, a very easy becomes a, a a line of, of uh, a line, or actions lined with good intent, but, but uh, where, where I still see that um, there could be some some drawbacks to it, and because uh, we effectively would say, you know, this is for all patients. This is, you know, with this type of treatment, this is or this type of cancer with this type of treatment, uh, then you know, this should be the prescription. Uh, if we want to move exercise into that uh, line of line of thinking, um, just just simply requires, uh, I think, another perspective as well. I think uh, we've talked a lot um, about it. It also the message revolving around the outcome specifically. So you you know you're talking about kind of these hard prognostic values of of potentially you know uh, treatment completion rates or recurrence and survival, and the evidence is is nowhere close yet. And um, but other things like quality of life, we have a good understanding of. So our conversation is not we shouldn't be telling anyone about the benefits of exercise, but it. It's kind of being more selective about how and what it might might do for you, as opposed to kind of absolutism. Absolutely, and and also uh, in with the with the danger of sounding cliche, the 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 absence of of evidence is clearly not evidence of absence. It's it's not that it is unthinkable, or it's not that that I don't necessarily believe that we can get to a point where at least in certain settings we can view exercise through that scope. But uh, it, it it's it's a it's a matter of sometimes. Um, yeah, re, re, essentially resetting and remembering that as as researchers and as scientists, we, we're, we're we're sort of taught critical thinking, and and uh, occasionally we're 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 not too good at it when when it's sort of within our own uh, our own field. We review our own work and and so on and so forth. Because I agree, there there's certainly certain outcomes out there where there has been a lot of research done, and where I think we can pretty confidently say. That based on that research, we 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 uh, we can expect certain benefits. But even for some of the stronger uh, outcomes that we have that we have recorded so far, say interest for for cardiopulmonary fitness, um, the 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 sort of uh, synthesized. Uh, 
average effect sizes that are reported are, if I recall correctly, just above the typical era of the measurement. Um, and and it, it might be very important and it might be excellent, but there's certainly also certain settings where where you could you could argue is that really relevant for a patient throughout whatever period that they're going through here um and a little bit similar for a lot of the patient reported outcomes we 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 tend to 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 find quite substantial effects in those uh, studies but we also just know there's these inherent weaknesses in not being able to blind subjects to to, to treatment arms with these types of interventions and and, and looking at, at the effect size is often relatively small, even though it's significant compared to, to say, what, ha- what that tool typically was developed uh, and validated towards uh, the kind of, of uh, effect size that, that, that really should be required. So, so, so I think it's through all um, – so, so I think it goes pretty much across that, that it's important to, to – to, to put on the, the the critical goggles as well, even when we're working with with what is with clearly our own passion and 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 in some cases, I mean subfields that people and are, are pretty much responsible for having developed and and that we're for those of us working now are completely and you know, like grateful that they were able to to put this uh, to to put this in in motion and and to really get this off the ground. What's really interesting about that, um, you know, in addition to kind of maybe the added pressure or guilt from, from people telling you, you, you know, you should exercise because if we give people the information that exercise will lead to all these benefits, no ifs, ands, or maybes, the, there's also from a behavioral perspective that can actually influence the, the potential to actually maintain the behavior. You know, if the this idea of outcome expectation is kind of understood in, in certain areas of behavior change where what you expect to achieve from participating in a given outcome is going to dictate or will have an influence on whether you will initiate and maintain that behavior. So if we tell people, you know, and this is to become relevant in, in a few minutes, but if we say, if you resistance train, you're going to put on muscle. And we let people train for 12 weeks and some people don't put on muscle. Well, then their actual outcome, what they've achieved is vastly different than their expectation of what they're going to achieve. And that negative experience may actually influence their ability to or desire to maintain the activity. Mm. They're going, well, he told me he was going to do it. And I think, it, and, I, and I think the, uh, the probably the strongest case for that, I think, comes from some of the work that's been done in in mental in mental illness, uh, where in particular certain subgroups uh, are actually shown to deteriorate, uh, even though we. You know, we would look through a lot of different populations and, sh- and see these these benefits in lower stress level, improve you know overall and health related quality of life, and so on and so forth. Um, but there just can be certain settings where where you know that's not beneficial, and uh, or, or where whatever the either pathophysiological. Um, situation is uh, somehow a challenge or 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 there can be a whole other uh, you know set of, of um, personal motivational aspects that that you know 
if a patient says, you know, so, so you want me to come in and exercise three times per week, but I would rather spend time with my family. I think everyone would, would be sympathetic towards that. Uh, but we would, if, if we, if a patient says, you know, I don't want to come in three times per week for my chemo, I would rather spend time with my family. We would probably, uh, be a little bit more pushy towards say that, you know, this is very important for your, for, for, for your, for your chances of, you know, long-term, uh, long-term survival and so on. Um, so, so I think it, it's, it's not that we didn't necessarily disagree across, you know, the different fields. I do think we occasionally view it through different, different lenses really. Yeah. And, um, we've, we've talked a lot about this. Um, we, we kind of, uh, we share this perspective of, to me as a, as a researcher, it as exciting as it would be if I took, you know, 50 men with prostate cancer going through ADT, um, through resistance training program and all of them put on muscle mass. Um, I'd be over the moon, <laughs> uh, because I'd be the first author. <laughs> but just as exciting that would be to see all those improvements. It's equally, if not more interesting to me or fascinating to me if people don't and trying to figure out why they don't. And I think that can get lost sometimes where we're just, we want to see the benefits and we're disappointed if we don't. I think it's fascinating if you, you know, work your backside off for 12 weeks and don't see improvements. Uh, absolutely. Um, and so, so we, we tend to have this quite one directional view in the field where we say we're really interested. And I, for one, work a lot with this and uh, would say that if I could come anywhere close to showing that exercise in patients improves, uh, you know, the, the, the tolerability and or efficacy of standard treatment. So we have an interaction. Uh, so exercise sort of interacts with the effects of, of standard treatments. That is amazing. And I think we, from, but, but from an exercise physiology perspective, and, and I, I've had this discussion a few times with people not in the cancer field, uh, where they, is that, it's quite unique to have a setting where you are intervening with pretty much everything that uh, should theoretically like reverse any kind of, of exercise adaptation. So, you know, chemo is essentially designed to just kill or induce apoptosis or necrosis and, or we've got, you know, um, uh, anti-angiogenesis treatments that are essentially, you know, minimizing the development of new blood vessels and so on. And so, and uh, so we have this, 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 weird model almost to to gain an understanding about you know what is uh, what pathways could potentially be modulated so so the other direction of that is to say how does treatment actually interact with the adaptations to exercise and in particular in 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 populations who have a pretty good prognosis that is perhaps the most interesting question to do the treatments that we are prescribing, so I talked before about doing a study in, in testicular cancer where the survival, even in patients with metastatic disease, is now five years survival is now above 95%. Um, so, 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 you know, that's ticked off. That's, we, we got pretty much that disease covered, but. It, what is the drawback to that? Is that actually a potential loss of adaptability to certain types of exercise, either during the acute phase or potentially sort of longer? 
Um, and and I think you mentioned yourself, you know, prostate cancer is another really interesting setting where uh, even though patients are you know, with active disease, they can live for many, many years on, on these active treatments. And what does that actually do to the to the adaptive potential uh, from from exercise interventions? Uh, early stage breast cancer, of course, another really interesting uh, setting in that. And I do think that gets lost occasionally. It's it seems that that question doesn't really uh, have it doesn't really have the same appeal, uh, even though it actually. From 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 a purely exercise physiology perspective, is is extremely interesting and and potentially, yeah, uh, yeah, really um, really novel and, and relevant. Do you think, um, or, or I suppose, what are your thoughts on you know moving towards or incorporating reporting of individual responses as a way to maybe address this? Do you think that's that's something that has value in in how we report our manuscripts? Um, that's very, that's a very good question. And I don't think I have a very clear answer on that. Um, I always think it's extremely important to, 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 to see or to report or to at least be able to present individual changes, but more from a, from a statistical point of view, uh, rather than simply group memes or some weird, uh, dynamite bars, uh, in our results and so on. Um, but whether we can be, I mean, whether it can it can lead to the identification of subgroups that definitely, you know, respond well or doesn't respond well, and then going backwards and trying to 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 explain that whether that has the potential to really benefit um, and give us new information, maybe it does. And on the other hand. History will say, you know, we, we, we are risk at going down some some paths that 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 are just downright wrong, where it's just essentially uh, a way to be misled, really. Um, so 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 I think it's, it's, it's tricky. I think, again, the the um, if you can sort of upfront define various uh, approaches to look at your individual level data uh, with the intent of sort of uh, differentiating subjects, I think I think there there can be a lot to 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 learn from that. Whether uh, that is what essentially happens, or if we go back, or if we go in the other direction, and we simply just find the five subjects who responded the best, and then, you know, build a reverse rational behind some background information why that is the case, that I think is a little bit dangerous. Um, so, so it's a tricky discussion, but um, but yeah. And this kind of comes down to, I suppose, back to you know the philosophy of of science and. Potentially the interaction with funding agencies in, um, are, are we now at risk of if, or are we at risk moving forward on this current kind of train? If we continue to, to tell how great it is, um, and how it's, it does all these amazing things and, and reference these studies and busy grand panels will look at our study or an, a new study and go, well, this study from five years ago said that their results were great. So we don't need to fund your study. Um, I think that's the that that's the balance that that probably most fields are facing uh, with regard to funding and so on. Is that we 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 are obviously 
often presenting or cherry picking the studies that that builds towards our rational, and then obviously also have to be careful not to to make ourselves redundant. But I think it's there's different. Um, I think there's different uh, perspectives on that. Uh, and I mean, I, I, I've come across quite influential oncologists on social media, essentially saying we shouldn't fund, we shouldn't do even randomized controlled trials and exercise because everyone should exercise. Um, and, and, uh, I don't necessarily fully agree, but obviously if, if what, if the, if the narrative is, very, very exclusively presented like it sometimes is, then then I kind of understand that, you know, why on earth should should we throw 150 people in a control group if you're already claiming that all these benefits exist um, and they are established and everyone gets them. Um, so 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 I think it's it, it, it's certainly uh, certainly a challenge. Um, and and um I think it's back to to um, to whether uh, our our sort of fundamental way of designing new studies are focused on asking sort of the, the what I would say the tough and the, the 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 very important questions, and then designing and trying to build design the studies around showing that with the very high risk that it can come out negative. Uh, and in this meaning, in, or in this sense, negative is not as in a bad study. It, it just means that the answer to the question was potentially that we did not improve survival, we did not improve tolerance to treatment. Uh, and I think the way to look at it is to say, you know, once I have to sign my study, is it does it have value and does it have relevance regardless of what the data shows? Because if it doesn't, then I would definitely argue that we are we're kind of building toward this this waste in, in research. It, it has to be studies that 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 adds value regardless of the data. Uh, and and the the question can, or the answer to whatever question that we think is important it needs to also be occasionally no or we don't know, but uh, that should still be be adequately important. So that kind of leads into, I suppose, what is what is your perspective on what do we need to do to collectively improve the way we design, conduct, and report um, our research. So, so uh, I, th- I think there's there, there's probably a lot of uh, opinions on that, and and I, I don't perceive mine to be of of more value than anyone else's really who works in this. But I think um, I think generally the um, sort of overall quality of our exercise trials can improve. I know there's various. Um, projects out there and and i also know there's a couple of publications either in review or close to being published that has sort of looked at you know how well do we actually you know do what we were said we were going to do how well do we report uh, on the intervention on the outcomes how well do we report on adverse events uh, which is one thing i think we have severely neglected in 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 our sort of understanding of exercise as a, as a cancer trial because we tend to only look at adverse events you know during the time they're actually on a treadmill or on a bike uh, and then next to that in our methods section we write that that our study was you know conducted according to good clinical practice 
which very clearly states that, you know, all adverse events needs to be reported regardless of whether it was in direct association or relation to treatment. So, so I think, you know, there's definitely work to be done in that, in sort of that overall basic trial quality management. And a lot of it comes down to, to, to funding. It's a lot of it comes down to, we do a lot of this work on very limited funds, often starting out maybe just on a, you know, one PhD student running his or her own trial uh, with, with limited or no help at all. And, and, and you can just go down through, you know, consult checklists and see that that alone will violate about eight points throughout, you know, the quality of that trial. So, so, so there's definitely a quantity versus quality discussion that I think should be favoring higher quality work. In particular, since we, we now sort of have these, these established, these sort of basic, you know, this can be done and, and we're, 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 we can now move on to, to sort of, yeah, uh, more, more important things. And then, then back to, to, you know, s- simple things as registering all the relevant outcomes, a lot of the studies that has uh, reported effect on exercise on uh, sorry the report of ex- uh, effects of exercise on on prognosis and disease recurrence to date didn't didn't pre-specify that at all and it often is in some um, sort of explorative analysis where we're either pooling two studies or we are putting together two study arms and 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 have a, you know an attempt to have more more study power and so on uh, or analytical power in our analysis but essentially you know, it, 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 it also, and, and typically the publications are very straight with that and say, you know, this is explorative, it's, it's hypothesis generating, don't conclude anything based on this uh, in itself. But there's also quite a few of these types of publications out now, and then they start being sort of synthesized into media analysis. And, and that then we sort of forget that, you know, they, they were actually never even registered to, to do anything with this type of data. So, so I think definitely, you know, adding these, these, uh, even if it's not the primary outcome, just adding the, uh, the, the clinically relevant outcomes and how you want to analyze them in, in our pre registries is, is just, uh, just, just important as well. That's a, a good point because, uh, a lot of people I've talked to, and I'm certainly no expert on this in, you know, the recent kind of, uh, I say push for open science. So many apprehension that I've, when I'm talking to people is that, you know, it, it can come across as though open science means perfect science. And it's, it's less about that and more about just transparent science and talking about all the things that may or may not have impacted your results. And to me, you know, talking to people who, who run exercise trials, particularly in clinical populations who, you know, things like missed sessions or things like people can't do everything that you initially set out to do to me is really important information. But some people have kind of talked about the apprehension of reporting that in getting hard times from reviewers. Or, you know, even facing rejection from publications because they think they need to have the the perfect trial, despite it being commonplace of, of actually not being the case. Um, so there's some strange stuff going on there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, and I think it, 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 um, it, it goes back to, 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 to simply again, we have this tendency, and I touched on that earlier, to to view the value of the study 
on essentially p-values or or just effectively the the effect estimates so if if it shows an effect it's a good study if it doesn't then it's a bad study uh, or it's an irrelevant study and 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 again that perspective just uh, well first it induces a high risk of bias uh, and and it synthesizes you know all kinds of shenanigans that you can do after you've collected your data and uh, and 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 it just adds to this, you know, famously named reproducibility crisis. And this is obviously not exclusive to exercise. This is pretty much across across all biomedical research. Um, but but uh, it, I, I think it fundamentally comes back to that. And you mentioned funding. I mean, in reviewer response and high publications and people, of course, looking after their careers. Uh, it makes sense that it goes in that way. But but it's. Um, I think at the end of the day, we 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 look at our uh, if we look at our, our our own work and the work in a, of our colleagues, we we have a, a sort of a gut feeling of how you know was this done was this done right or could it have been done better? Um, that doesn't necessarily has anything to do with what what the data analysis shows, uh, and and I for one try to to. Um, to, to, to build that into the projects that we, we set up and that I somehow are involved with is, you know, take, taking this out of the, taking this out of the discussion of where, you know, what the data shows and then look at the data quality, simply look at, you know, are we, do we have representative populations going into our studies? Do we have good, as you mentioned, adherence data to actually be able to afterwards explain, you know, they actually adhered or did not, uh, maybe to certain parts of the program and so on. Um, do we have good adverse events data to, to, to really essentially show that they, that we didn't actually put, you know, more people in hospital with infections because they were immunocompromised or, or whatever, um, and then, and then ultimately addressing the questions where where we can say, I mean, even if the question is no, it didn't it didn't actually improve this. That's still a very important uh, finding. Um, so, so I think, yeah, uh, open science certainly a, a long way towards that. It's not um, it's, it's not something I in myself has has worked in the forefront of. Uh, I mean, I see uh, open science much more uh, developing and and within. A lot of different fields and, and ours as well. So I think it will be an interesting next, say, five, ten years if, if the field is sort of ready to, to embrace it or, or if we will keep talking about it and not really change anything. So another kind of interesting point on this, um, with, with the state of the evidence and, and kind of your perspective on it, um, what are your thoughts on the, the field of implementation science and kind of you know, perhaps the the whole absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, and the the prevailing thought of well, look, we have enough evidence to to or let let's let's do it and let the evidence catch up. Let's implement this. Let's see if we can put it into uh, clinics and hospitals and and see what happens. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's just um, I I'm not hard. Core, you know, against or for. I think it's just important to 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 have the nuanced discussion or to have the nuanced view that you say we can choose to implement this, we can choose to push this forward, but but 
just bear in mind that there are costs and there are potential harms. And we do take that, particularly in, in, in European universal healthcare systems, we do take these funds from something else. It's not, it's not generated out of, no, uh, out of nothing. So, so as long as we're, we're sort of open and honest with, you know, we think this should be a standard offer to all patients with cancer. Uh, well aware that it costs the equivalent of this many nurses or that much treatment. I'm, I'm completely fine with that. Uh, I still think we have a lot of work to do in that area. That's probably not me or you. That's probably people who actually know something about implementation type research and, and, and are used to working, you know, on that type of scale, which about, which is about access and, you know, the pathways to go through and minimizing in particular, uh, the social inequality that we know exists. Because what we tend to see is that we give these offers to everyone and who ends up uh, actually benefit from them are are the you know high resources well educated younger stronger less comorbid etc 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 so we we end up unless we're very much aware of this to you know un, unconsciously almost uh, funneling more funds towards patients who are already receiving uh, at least statistically uh, or um, numerically uh, better care um so 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 i think particularly um particularly if we go you know and say we now as a, whatever society comes out and say you know we believe this is now the evidence we needed uh then then just it needs to be sort of backed up and say okay but then how would we how will we do this uh and 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 how will we ensure again that um that the the cost that we are uh, or the cost of this doesn't actually uh, is actually justified and and that we don't for instance uh, push sort of even a more uh, unequal um, approach into to the sort of overall care setting which I know nobody would do intentionally but just be aware that there's this risk so what do you think you know you've kind of given your uh, expert opinion on, on the field of prehab as it moves forward. You know, <laughs> for example, if I'm a master's student and I email you and say, oh my God, I love your work. I want to do a 12-week study in breast cancer survivors. What do you think are some of the fatal flaws of new researchers perhaps coming into this field without a uh, thorough understanding of literature? And what do, you, what do you see as some of the bigger areas of focus moving forward for our field in general? Well, I would like to say... And it may or may not be completely true, but I would like to say that regardless of your tenured professor, postdoc, or PhD student, or master student started working in this field, we should we should uh, work towards the, with the same kind of standards, as in uh, doing the type of studies that will generate new information, new knowledge, and actually build to the evidence base. Again regardless of what the data actually shows. So I don't think it really matters of if, if, if someone is an, an experienced or an unexperienced person in the field. Obviously, you could use some more guidance if you haven't gotten that much um, experience in it. But um, that's for one. Um, I, th I think, it, again, it comes back to, to, to what we think are sort of the the fundamental the fundamental issue and i think you measure breast you, you mentioned breast cancer which again uh 
we all know makes up the vast, vast majority of the research that's done in our field. Um, and and we, I mean, almost on a weekly basis, we see a new study coming out uh, with similar types of endpoints. Um, and it might have been, you know, the first study in a very specific subgroup of patient or at a very specific time point or using a very specific type of intervention, uh, all of the all of which can be justified for sure. But the question is again: is this is this the critical questions that we need? Are these really what we lack evidence in showing? Uh, it may be, and and it may not be. Um, so I think I think from from that perspective, at least what I consider to be important, if someone were to approach with that, is to say we we, we have these different. Um, we have these different frameworks for where exercise might have these beneficial effects. And, and by far and most, we, we, we have studied exercise as an intervention or as a strategy to counter or to uh, manage symptoms and side effects. Um, but I have yet, at least I think I have yet to see the study, the trial, aimed at lowering fatigue or depression uh, that has screened for or only targeted patients who are disposed to that, uh, and 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 therefore, again, arguably, end up reporting or measuring uh, things on a scale which is kind of irrelevant. And we could sort of translate that into say, uh, if the entire argument for doing our exercise training study is that we want to maintain or improve cardiorespiratory fitness and the patients have equivalent cardiorespiratory fitness to the background population. How is, you know, what then this line of arguments kind of falls apart in my opinion. So, so I think that's, if that's the, if that's the, the way we want to, to address it, I think we need much more that sort of, you know, targeting the specific symptoms patients with either high risk of those or or with 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 a uh, yeah a, mo a more severe uh, presence of those and then i think the the other uh, aspect which has has grown substantially and i think it's very important is, is sort of the entire secondary prevention discussion so we know that uh, and comes back to you know we have Many cancers, luckily, that, that has pretty good prognosis, and we also know that the treatment needed for that puts them at, at quite, uh, a quite substantial increased risk of various late effects. Um, and, and I think, I mean, and then in from that perspective, it makes very much clinical sense to, to have sort of that idea, you know, we okay, we've coped with the cancer for the most part. How do we then take care of, of these additional and, and, and yeah, uh, following, following long-term uh, fallbacks that might happen. Uh, and it just uh, astonishes me that whenever a study has that as its rationale to say that we're now improving long-term or we are aiming at improving long-term um, uh, or, we're, or we're providing more of a secondary prevention and improving long-term risks of various events, we are reporting, you know, pre to post exercise effects. So 12 weeks or six months or even a year, 
when these are, I mean, the, the, the clinical translation of this clearly has to go into, you know, reduce five-year, 10-year uh, reduced effect. And, and just the, the idea that, that uh, we should probably look at, you know, differences at longer-term follow-up. And I realize that requires larger studies and so on, but... <laughs> It's just, you know, when we're talking about someone whose biggest problem probably is, you know, that they will have an increased 10-year risk of a cardiac, cardiovascular event, um, do we really think, you know, what happens pre to post 12 weeks is, is, is the critical bit or is it whatever that leads to in a, in a longer sense? Um, so, so I think that's, again, another uh, about framing the right question and designing the studies accordingly. Uh, and, and, and finally, moving back to our whole discussion on, on can we say, you know, exercise is cancer medicine and, and can we can we sort of include it into our, uh, our our treatment trajectories in a more targeted manner with with the treatment specific endpoints in mind. And, and, and to be honest, I just think that we're just very, very far from having even the, 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 the basic understanding of how that might be. So so we need, in my view, much more translation work um, and that goes both ways so we need better animal models and cell models that actually models the clinical scenarios and we also need the, the trials that are established to be built on or uh, to sort of extend on the, the hypothesis that we generate through these uh, these mechanistic experiments you, you kind of yeah, expertly aligned a lot of things there one of which was the kind of time, resources, and financial constraints that limit this, um, and it's also, I think, a, a product of again the research philosophy of just we get into this "what's next" mentality, and everyone wants to be the one that discovers the new thing. And you're you're kind of right in in line up a study to look at people who actually have documented um, depression versus anyone, regardless of mental health, and then we look at depression. They're two completely different studies and the former screening people and then screening out people for depression is likely going to add months, years to, to studies. So it's really challenging trying to find that balance of what's the study that's really going to build on this and, and give us some more information versus I've only got two years to pull this off. Yeah, it's uh, it, it definitely is. And I don't think there is... Um I don't. I don't think there is a, a, a you know a one universal right way of doing this. Uh, I, I certainly think that we have uh, studies in the literature that were, if if I should say, quite of quick and dirty, and and it was very quickly you know set up, carried out, and and we we gain in many cases a lot of important experiences from that. Um, but I also think that. A lot of um, a lot of research is built from the more sort of um, I won't say opportunistic, but but essentially the you know we have the possibility of doing something, and either we have a little bit of money, or we have you know a, a candidate that wants to do a research project, and we have access to you know these patients, and we have the possibility of putting them on a bike. Uh, so let's do that. Uh, and, and, and it, it, I can certainly relate as well in, at our hospital to, to just occasionally find out that there are, you know, five different exercise studies ongoing in, 
cancer patients around the hospital that never talks to each other, that hasn't, you know, in any way been 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 integrated into sort of a strategy or anything. And it's not that I for certainly don't want to be the the, the managing director of everything that goes on, not at all. But it's just it just goes to show that this type of research also tends to be you know okay we have someone we have a year's salary let's get out you know let, let, let's just get on with it and 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 then at least the risk of of these occasionally sort of redundant repetitive <laughs> projects that don't really advance the field uh, and and what they add to the existing literature is is, is absolutely minimal um and um and and we we just we we kind of look at it as if it's you know there there's no there's no losers in this and and uh it's good for you know some patients were in a trial they were happy about it and you know the the person maybe got a publication so so they can apply for the next grant but but at the end of the day we we do have it is resource limited and the resources that goes into that can go to something else including the patients which is probably our most valuable resource um so 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 i think it's a tough discussion that uh, j- just just i guess more um balancing this you know need for for actually generating uh data and publications and getting grants but but also having i guess a sufficient open approach to to whatever else is ongoing particularly in in the setting that you're working with uh and maybe occasionally acknowledging that you know maybe we shouldn't be the ones that leads this maybe we can you know add to this project or we can we can give some of our experiences and they can build on that uh, as opposed to to everyone making up uh, you know studies and trials on their own Listen, I, I appreciate not just your chat today, um, but our, our discussion on prehabilitation as well. I think, uh, you know, you've dedicated a lot of time to, to the show and um, I really appreciate your insight on both areas that are really fascinating to me. And, and um, I wish you well in your work in the prehabilitation space. And hopefully we as a field can come together to really improve what we're doing moving forward too. Well, thank you, Kieran. It's been a pleasure. Uh, where can people find you, keep up with you, all that good stuff? Well, keeping in the uh, yeah the, the social media uh, trend of the time, uh, the easiest definitely through Twitter. Uh, so at JSC underscore science would be my would be me, uh, and my email is on there as well because uh, it's pretty long and confusing. So uh, so so go on there and find that, and um, yeah and. I'm always very, very much interested in and happy to talk and discuss all these uh, kinds of questions really with, with anyone. I really think that's, uh, that's whether that is a very experienced or a uh, completely new, new person in the field. I think it's, uh, it's, it's really fascinating to, to, work, um, to, work with, to, to work with what we do. Uh, and I think we're extremely privileged. Uh, and uh, and anything we really can do to um, to 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 also yeah build towards um, the outcome of all this work uh, improving is uh, is definitely worth. Listen, mate. Thanks a lot for your time, and we'll catch you soon. Thank you.